thanks for tuning in to the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We're a group of sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and here you will hear the Word of God. It's always an honor and a privilege to preach the Word of God at this church, and today We are closing out the final message in a series that we began almost a year ago and uh, uh, actually over a year and a half ago. And it is called the greatest sermon ever given. And this sermon wasn't given by Brad Pierce or Larry Gritton or Billy Graham or Adrian Rogers or Charles Spurgeon. The greatest sermon ever given comes from none other than Jesus Christ himself. The overarching topic of this sermon that we see throughout is the righteousness of God as compared to the self-righteousness of man. Last week, we looked at one of the most sobering sections of scripture. I know we have some visitors. Don't worry. I'm going to give you a little uh, catch up to where we're at today. And last week, we saw that on judgment day, some people are going to look at Jesus They'll have a knowledge of who he is, what he's done, and they will attempt to say that they did many mighty great things in his name. And Jesus will look back at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. This is one of the most sobering scriptures in the whole testament. Because Jesus tells us that this will be the case, not just for one or two, but for many. Many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord. I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Today, as we wrap up this series on the greatest sermon ever given, we're going to be taking a deeper look at why this is the case. Why it is that people claim to know Jesus and claim to have done things in his name when they actually do not know him. You see, what we're learning about today is that people have a foundation issue. Many people, including many religious, seemingly well put together people, do not actually have a strong foundation in their lives. It's kind of like this. In 1994, the Corvette Museum was opened up in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I know we have a lot of people here who like cars, and maybe you've even visited the, uh, the, the museum there. And this museum houses millions of dollars of worth of classic Corvettes, and I'm sure it's a really cool sight to see. I, I, I might stop by there myself if I'm ever in Bowling Green. I just don't seem to ever be there. <laughs> but it'd be cool to check out. But this museum, constructed in 1994, I am sure that when the builders put that together, They put together their best effort to make a structurally sound building. I am sure that they did the absolute best of their abilities. I doubt that any of those builders expected that in 2014, just 20 years later, that a sinkhole would open up underneath the Corvette Museum, a section there sucking in and damaging eight of those cars, totaling at least a million dollars worth of damage to the cars alone. The local news reached out to the president of the Louisville's Fall City Corvette Club to get a reaction to what had happened at the museum. And he said, I think anybody who's, who has a Corvette was stunned when they heard that. He said, we're all feeling the same way. Oh man, that's a shame. That was his quote. Oh man, that's a shame. When a building is built, what it's built upon has a major significance as to its structural integrity. 
When something appears to be built on good ground, but later it caves in, people are going to look at that and say, oh man, what a shame. What a shame. Now here's the thing. Ultimately, really fancy cars and Corvettes don't have an internal significance. Earlier in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus tells us not to bother ourselves with collecting as many earthly treasures as we can because moths and dust and thieves will come in and destroy them or take them away. He says instead to lay up treasures in heaven where things last eternally. Corvettes don't have eternal significance, but your soul does. Just a few verses before we were picking up this morning, Jesus tells the hearers, he says, enter the narrow gate that leads to life. Choose the wide, or, or do not choose the wide gate that leads to destruction. These destinations of life and death are eternal destinations. We saw last week that simply acknowledging Jesus or even simply accomplishing mighty works are not enough to be known by Jesus. What you say and what you do really does not matter if the life that you have built those things into is built on a faulty foundation. Let's look at what Jesus says in our text this morning. If you haven't already, open up to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 24 and following. Jesus says, everyone who then hears the wor- these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them uh, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Every time I read this section of scripture, I can't help but think back to Sunday school when I was just a kid. (laughs) I see someone who relates to that. The wise man built his house upon the rock, right? And then it would go on and it would say, the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm, right? And then it goes on and it says, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. I won't do the whole thing. But it says, the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went splat, right? I love singing that song as a child. That was fun. We might be, my, my mama was my Sunday school teacher and she's been doing more of the Sunday school around here. Maybe they'll be learning that song soon. I don't know. It's catchy. The movements were fun. Splat, right? I love to make a show out of it, of course, right? Well, I believe this is a fun way to teach children scripture. We have to recognize just how devastating this truth is for the fool who builds his house upon the sand. In this section of scripture, we're presented with two people. We see a wise man and a foolish man. Before we look at the differences between the two men, though, I want to first look at the similarities between these two guys. If you look in verses 24 and 26, you see both of these represent uh, people who hear the words of Jesus. That means that both the wise man and the foolish man heard what Jesus taught them. This should cause us to perk up and pay attention for one very important reason. All of us here in this room are given an opportunity right now to hear what Jesus has taught. 
you've been with the church for some time, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for quite a while. But even if you're just joining us today, you are hearing at least some of what Jesus taught. You are being exposed to what Christ truly desires for those who follow him. When we see the wise man and the foolish man both heard the words of God, it points us, or the words of Jesus, it points us to the reality that both of these categories are likely to represent people in our churches. Even Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches all across the globe. Both the wise and the foolish man heard the words of Jesus. Let's look at another similarity. Both the wise man and the foolish man built houses. The houses represent the lives that they have built for themselves. We are all building our life in some shape or fashion. What is important to realize is the comparison between the wise man and the foolish man is that there's no distinguishable difference between the houses that they built. In verses 24 and 26, it just says that each man built a house. Why is this important to note? Well, it doesn't say that the wise man built a mansion and the foolish man built a shack or even vice versa. For all intents and purposes, these two houses might as well have been two ball homes with the same siding and the same brick and from the outside look exactly like one another. The garage is put in the same place and everything, just like driving through the suburbs. From our perspective, these houses look basically the same. This is important because it points to the idea that the basic facts of someone's life can be very similar while they're in two very different eternal positions. In our context, this might look like somebody who goes to church every single Sunday. Two people who are faithful to their spouses. Two people who are generous and they give to the church. They even maybe give to those in need. The visible attributes of the life may look the same. But as we will see, as we continue to walk through here, they were built on two very different grounds. But before we get to that, I want to note one more similarity. Both the wise man and the foolish man were hit by the same storm. They were both hit by the same storm. In both cases, we see the rains came down and the floods came up. This is showing us that both houses or really both people will one day face the same structural test. This is talking about the final judgment that all of us will face. This judgment is expounded upon in Hebrews. In Hebrews 9.27, we see, and it, just as it is appointed to, uh, for man to die once, after that comes judgment. Then in Hebrews 4.13, we see how judgment moves past superficial appearances into the core of our being. Hebrews 4.13 and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So in our text from Matthew, when the men are tested, it's not the external prettiness of their houses that provides protection, but rather the hidden foundation that truly matters. So let's just recap Really quickly, the similarities between the two. They both heard the words of Jesus. They both built lives that may even appear to be similar from an outside perspective. And they both faced the same testing or judgment. 
Now let's look at the differences. I want to reread this section again. Be looking for the differences as we go through. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came up and the winds blew and beat on the house. And it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The most obvious difference between the two that jumps out is that one was wise and the other is called foolish. I think all of us would have some basic distinction between wise and foolish. We'd call the one who spends all of his money on frivolous things a fool and the one who saves for a long time and for the time of need, we'd call him wise. You might say the one who constantly gets in trouble with the law is a fool. The one who stays out of trouble is wise. Those might be true, but they're ultimately man-centric standards of wisdom and foolishness. Jesus gives a higher and better standard of wisdom in this section of Scripture. You see, the wise man is identified as wise because he not only hears the words of Jesus, but he acts upon them. On the other hand, the fool hears the same thing and does not do them. The verb for does in the Greek is in the present active form, which says even more specifically that the wise man is hearing the words of Jesus and continues to keep on doing them. And the foolish man keeps on hearing the words of Jesus and keeps not doing them. Willful obedience is the big separator between the two groups. There are many people, particularly in our culturally Christian section of the Bible belt, who will build up lives That from the outside perspective, look and have the appearance of godliness, but internally they are not following Jesus. They are denying its power. They are just feigning religion to keep up appearances. This is made evident by the difference of the foundations shown for each group. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. So what is the rock? The rock is willful obedience to Jesus. Building your life on the rock is building your life on the understanding of Jesus as Lord. Understanding that Jesus is more than just a good teacher with some cool ideas, but that he is worthy to be submitted to in every circumstance. Last week we read from Luke 6.46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Obedience is not the mode of salvation. It's not how you are saved. But it is the fruit thereof. Obedience comes from salvation. We must understand two complementary truths. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And James 2.26. For as the body apart from the truth is... I'm sorry. For, the, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We are saved. Our our foundation is secure on the rock when our faith is in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Nothing else. Nowhere else. 
When we believe that Jesus is the anointed king who died and rose again for us, we submit to him as Lord. It was his action on the cross that provides salvation. And when we have faith in him, we are made into a new creation that willfully submits to him as the Lord he is. What I'm saying is this. When we know who Jesus is and we know what Jesus did, if we truly believe he is our savior, our hope, our rock, we will want to follow him. Going to church is no longer about keeping up with appearances, but rather communing with God's people. Praying in public isn't about being heard for all the wonderful vocabulary you have. What about crying out to the father who listens to his children? Reading God's word isn't about knowing more than the guy next to you, but about growing in wisdom and knowledge of the one who saved you. Salvation produces a changed heart and a desire to work for the Lord. Faith is understanding that there is no other foundation in life that lasts other than a foundation founded upon Jesus Christ. Understanding, believing, submitting to, and obeying Jesus as Lord is the only firm foundation upon which to build a life. This plays out in Matthew 16. Matthew 16 through 18, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In this section of scripture here, Peter is commended by Jesus for understanding that Jesus is the son of the living God and the Christ. That is the promised and anointed prophet, priest, and king. Peter sees Jesus for who he truly is. And in this recognition, it is that recognition that the Lord built his church upon. Christ is the true cornerstone and all those who truly recognize, believe and submit to him are part of the true church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Much like those who are, build their lives on the rock will stand firm when the rains come down and the flood comes up. I love what we read in Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Everyone who recognizes that it is only Jesus whose sacrificial death on the cross can atone for sin. It is Jesus who is Lord, who is worthy of all honor and respect, who we obey because he is the good shepherd who makes us into a new creation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord and truly is calling on him as Lord it will be saved. Their foundation is found. Their lives are built on the rock. Jesus is Lord doesn't mean that Jesus is a guy who gives us suggestions. But when we look at our text in Matthew, we see that not everyone has a life built on the firm foundation of the rock. Some instead have built their lives on the sand. Now, my wife loves going to the beach. I'm not much of a beach guy, but we go from time to time for her. But I'm actually looking forward to going to the beach here in a couple of years when AR, our little boy, we just had a little boy, he's two months old almost. We'll go together and it'll be so much fun to build sandcastles, right? I'm looking forward to that. But the thing about building on the sand is that we know it's going to be temporary. 
Only a fool would attempt to build a lasting structure on shifting sand. And I know what you're thinking. Brad, houses are built in Florida on the beach all the time, right? Which is true. But the foundations of those houses built on the sand in, the, in Florida are dug deep below the surface level of the sand, often to bedrock, which is like what you read in Luke's telling of this parable that we're reading this morning. In Luke 6.48, he says, He is like a, a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the floods arose, a stream broke against it. The house could not shake it because it had been well built. The wise man dug deep below the unstable sand and found the rock. Foolish man stayed in the superficial surface. But just what does it mean to have a life that is built on sand? Remember that the foolish people are those who hear the words of Jesus and do not seek to take action on them. They may have the appearance of godliness. They may blend into a cultural Christianity. But when you go below the surface, there is no foundation. A.W. Pink was expositing this section and he said, those who build their lives on the sand, they, they bring their bodies to the house of prayer, but not their souls. They worship with their mouths, but not in spirit and in truth. They are sticklers for immersion or early morning communion, yet take no thought about keeping their hearts with all diligence. They boast of their orthodoxy, but disregard the precepts of Christ. Multitudes of professing Christians abstain from external acts of violence, yet hesitate not to rob their neighbor of a good name by spreading evil reports against them. They contribute regularly to the pastor's salary, but shrink not from misrepresenting their goods and cheating their customers, persuading them that business is business. They have more regard for the laws of man than those of God, for his fear is not before their eyes. A life built on sinking sand is a life lived in fear of man rather than the fear of God. A life built on sinking sand is all about making appearances and collecting personal glory. As Pastor Pink pointed out, the fool may participate in religious activity, but the desire is not to please the Lord, but rather to be known, respected, or even to take advantage of others. But the prioritization is misguided. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Our ultimate motivation in life ought not to be, or ought to be, to serve the God who is so powerfully in control of all things. He is the only one worthy of devotion. Yet we so often live for the ever-shifting standards of man. The rock is stable. God is immutable. His word is never changing. The sands are shifting. Faking religion while living for man will constantly be a drifting existence that will never solidly satisfy. Especially not when it comes time for judgment. This is the gravest difference between the wise man and the foolish man. Look at this one more time. We're going to read that section. Everyone then who hears the words of mine 
These words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The wise man built his house on the rock and when judgment comes, the house didn't fall. Why? Because it was grounded on the rock. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be secure. When it comes time for judgment, there won't be need to worry. Christ already paid the price of that sin for everyone who would truly believe in him. But the foolish man who heard the words of Jesus and didn't actually do them, when it's time for judgment comes, that house, that life so beautifully crafted from the outside, maybe even so similar to the wise man's appearance, will come tumbling down. That's because despite all the best efforts and renovations, the house was built on a faulty foundation. It couldn't stand the rains of judgment. This will be the fate for many religious people who lacked real faith in Jesus. This is another sobering message like what we talked about last week. But Jesus concludes his sermon on the mount like this for a reason. He wants people to know moralism and lip service are not enough. He wants people to know the only way for eternal life is through the narrow gate, which produces fruit in your life. And then because you are planted on the firm foundation of the solid rock of Jesus, you will stand firm in the final judgment. This is the only way. But thanks be to God that there is a way. Because our sin does not deserve eternal salvation, but God so freely gives it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus clarifies true godly righteousness and true God-given salvation. When he finishes the sermon, the people were astonished. Look quickly at the last two verses. It says, and when Jesus finished these saying, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus warns about the wide path to destruction and the fools who build their lives uh, upon uh, uh, not, not following him. And this wasn't just some crackpot idea by way, a wayward teacher seeking to tear down the establishment. He wasn't some YouTube blogger. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. When people heard Jesus preaching, they realized there was something different about him from the rest of the teachers in their synagogues. Those guys quoted and interpreted the views of Scripture. Jesus taught as one who embodied Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus didn't come to abolish the prophets, but to fulfill them. You search the Scriptures to try to find eternal life, but it is the Scriptures that point to Jesus. Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. He is worthy of all honor, glory, praise, and obedience. Know this as we close this morning. Jesus said with all authority that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. 
Jesus also said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then as we saw today, he said, those who hear his words and do them are wise. And those who hear them and do not are foolish and destined for destruction when judgment comes. And oh, what a great fall it will be. By hearing this now, you are being given an opportunity by God to repent from self-sufficiency and to begin living a life truly grounded upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. When you're eternally secure, all the ails of this world don't sting quite as bad. Even when we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Stop hiding behind the thin walls of fake religion and truly surrender to Christ today. We're going to have a hymn of response. If you want to come forward, Jesus said to acknowledge him before others. That's why we ask if you want to come forward. Hear the words of Christ today, though, and don't just hear them. Do them. Come today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to read your word, to learn and grow. We thank you for this opportunity to have fellowship with those who are visiting with us, Lord. And we just ask that you would bless this time that we're about to have together. Lord, most of all, I pray that your gospel is proclaimed and that you are still drawing sinners unto you. Lord, we are just so thankful that you would use the efforts of this church for your glory. I pray that the gospel is the number one focus in everything that we do and that we understand Jesus as Lord and rely on him in all things. Use us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Durban Memorial Baptist Church Podcast. If you want to find out more about our church, you can check out www.durbanchurch.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can give us a call or text to 859-813-0369. Also, you can shoot us an email at brad at Have a wonderful day and God bless.